Hello and welcome to the program, UFO Warning. In this episode, we're looking at the Smithsonian cover-up. That's correct, the Smithsonian cover-up. And of course, we're talking about the Smithsonian Institution. It's long been rumored that this uh, institution, the Smithsonian Institution, has been covering up evidence of everything from giants to ancient societies to Egyptian artifacts out of the Grand Canyon. Until we have some evidence really being able to demonstrate that, they're going to do nothing but label us conspiracy theorists. So I think it's worthwhile to take a look at what has come forward over the years, shining a light on the Smithsonian. Now, keep in mind, this is an extremely powerful organization. If we look at Wikipedia, perhaps, it says Smithsonian Institution is, uh, or simply the Smithsonian, is a group of museums, education, and research centers the largest such complex in the world created by the U.S. government for the increase and diffusion of knowledge. Now that's something to think about. First off, it's not just one museum. This is a whole uh, department really created by the U.S. government. So it's one of these it's one of these non-governmental organizations now almost it seems like one of these monsters that's created where it has the power and the funding of the government at some level but none of the responsibilities. It says it was created for the increase and diffusion of knowledge. That's arguable. We think about the fact that they have 153 million things locked away in their museum and only 1% of those are on display, according to this recent video I watched. It says, the largest such complex in the world created by the U.S. government for the increase and diffusion of knowledge founded on August 10, 1846. It operates as a trust instrumentality and is not formally a part of any three branches of the federal government. So how does that work? You have this giant organization created by the federal government in 1846. They got an early start, but it's not formally a part of any three branches. In other words, it has no oversight. The institution is named after its founding donor, British scientist Jim Smithson. Didn't we just have a big giant war with them in like 1812 to 14 or something? It was originally organized as the United States National Museum, but that, came, but that name ceased to exist administratively in 1967. Interesting. Originally known as the United States National Museum. So see how they're moving it away? So apparently this British guy, for whatever reason, decided, hey... These, these Yankees, they need their own museum. Good on him. So he gives them all this money, he builds this museum, and he calls it the United States National Museum. Here you go, guys. Here's your own National Museum. But in 1967, so that would have been what? Under uh, Johnson, if you're old enough to remember him, 1967 to the Smithsonian. It looks like they're taking it further out of control of the U.S. government. It says, called the nation's attic for its elected holdings of 154 million items. The institution's 19 museums, 21 libraries, nine research centers, and zoo include historical and architectural landmarks. 19 museums, 21 libraries, nine research centers, and zoo include historical architectural landmarks, mostly located in Washington, D.C. How convenient. You know, if this was a nation's museum, wouldn't it have been more... Um, equitable to have these things located around the country regionally. Additional facilities located in Maryland, New York, and Virginia. More than 200 institutions and museums in 45 states, Puerto Rico, Panama, and Smithsonian affiliates. Institution publications include Smithsonian and Airspace magazines. Yeah, it sounds like all the good stuff is right there 
in DC, maybe New York and Virginia, right? That little power center. And then we'll throw out some of the smaller outlets at, at you know, in, in a big city near you. Almost of the, almost all of the institutions, 30 million annual visitors are admitted without charge. The exception being Cooper Hewitt Smithsonian Design Museum, which charges an admission fee. Its annual budget is around $1.25 billion, with two-thirds coming from annual federal appropriations. So they're, they're getting, uh, what, $650 million in taxpayer money, but they charge you to come in and, you, and, and look around. Other funding comes from the institution's endowment private and corporate contributions, membership dues, and earned retail concessions and licensing revenue. As of 2021, the institution's endowment had a total value of about $5.4 billion. So the Smithsonian Institution here has annual budget of $1.25 billion. What on earth could they be spending all that money on? And an endowment of $5.4 billion. In many ways, the origin of the Smithsonian Institution can be traced to a group of Washington citizens who being impressed with the importance of forming an association for promoting useful knowledge met on June 28, 1816 to establish the Columbian Institute for the Promotion of Arts and Sciences. Offices were elected in October 1816 and the organization was granted a charter by Congress on April 20, 1818. It says this charter expired in 1838. Remember, so understand back when the country was first created, uh, the founding fathers did not want corporations to last forever. Most of them had like at most a 99-year uh, lifespan. They were afraid that corporations would uh, just spread like cancer and take over the economy and society the same way that they'd seen the Hudson Bay Company do with so much uh, commerce that, that happened in the U.K., they didn't want that. They wanted competition. They wanted new businesses to spring up constantly. They wanted a vibrant, growing, uh, grassroots type economy. They did not want all these corporations. And we're, now we're at the point where not only do these corporations and charters last forever, okay, they're just given permission to run wild, but they're given all the rights and privileges of a human being, even though they're an inanimate object, but you can't lock them up, okay? Now, maybe you could lock up the corporate you know, members or whatever. But the thing is, today, what has been created with these corporations and charters is exactly the opposite of what the Founding Fathers wanted. And it has bared the really evil fruit that they have predicted. So when people say we're in a capitalist society or whatever, we're really not. It's more of an oligarchy or a mercantile society because you can't have a truly free country, economically or socially, where you have these inanimate inanimate corporations that are incorporated forever. People don't live forever. Corporations shouldn't live forever. Neither should these charters. So you kind of see what's going on. You see how much things have changed. You begin to see here in 1816, they're starting to build walls, walls around knowledge, keep it from the common people. So there's always been those kind of people among us, the kind of people that want to compartmentalize, protect, and keep knowledge to themselves. The people that are prone to these secret societies. They had no need of secret societies anymore because they, they've thrown off the change of the monarchy. But they wanted to stay at those old ways. Tell our secrets in dark rooms. 
Nobody else can listen to us. The Institute proposed a number of undertakings. These included the study of plant life and the creation of a botanical garden on the Capitol Mall, an examination of the country's mineral production, improvement in the management and care of livestock, and the writing of topographical and statistical history of the United States. Reports were to be published periodically to share this knowledge with the greater public, but due to a lack of funds, this initially did not occur. The Institute first met in Blodge's Hotel, later in the Treasury Department in City Hall, before being assigned a permanent home in 1824 in the Capitol building. So you see this group of people uh, injecting themselves into the governmental process. Beginning in 1825, weekly sittings were arranged. Then it goes on, talks about how this little group grew. Uh, the museum contains specimens. It says zoology, botany, and archaeology, and fossils. And then it says the Institute's charter expired in 1838. Because back then, things did expire. But his spirit lived on in the National Institution founded in 1840. They're right back at it. With the mission to promote science and useful arts and to establish a National Museum of Natural History. Then it goes on here. It says, British scientist James Smithson lived from 1765 to, 19, to 1829. Left most of his wealth to his nephew, Henry James Hungford. When Hungford died childless in 1835... The estate passed to the United States of America to found at Washington under the name of the Smithsonian Institute, an establishment for the increase and diffusion of knowledge among men. In accordance with the Smithsonian's will, Congress officially accepted the legacy bequeathed to the nation and pledged the faith of the United States to the Charitable Trust on July 1st, 1836. So, you know, you have a rich guy. He's got this idea for this grand museum. And because he's rich and because he puts some money out there, people in government see an opportunity, really, I think, to enrich themselves off this whole operation. And they're like, sure, we're behind this. The American diplomat Richard Rush was dispatched to England by President Andrew Jackson to collect the bequest. Rush returned in August of 1838 with 105 sacks containing 104,960 gold sovereigns. <laughs> That's how they did it back then. They weren't using Bitcoin. This is approximately $500,000 at the time, which is equivalent to $14 million in 2022, or equivalent to 10 million pounds in 2021. However, when considering the GDP at the time, it may be more comparable to 220 million in the year 2007. Yeah, I'm going to go with the quarter billion figure. Look, 14 million dollars. I mean, look at the time they lived in. Once the money was in hand, eight years of congressional haggling ensued over how to interpret Smithsonian's rather vague mandate. So they had a big argument about this for eight years. And then it says, finally, Massachusetts Representative and Foreign President John Quincy Adams persuaded Congress to restore the lost funds with interest and, despite designs on the money for other purposes, convinced his colleagues to preserve it for an institution of service and learning. So even though they went to England, they got all this money. Jackson apparently was tried to outsmart him. He's like, yeah, let's bring this money back and we'll get around to that at some point in the future. I think we'll just hang on to this $220 million. It says, through the Smithsonian's first secretary, Joseph Henry, Joseph Henry wanted the institution to be a center for scientific research. It also became a depository for various Washington and U.S. government collections. So there you go. A place to put all the cool stuff at. The United States exploring expedition by the U.S. Navy circumnavigated the globe between 1838 and 1842. The voyage amassed thousands of animal specimens and herbarium of 50,000 plant specimens and diverse shell and minerals. And it goes on, talks a little bit about the buildings and how the whole thing's set up. So you can see what we're dealing with here is a massive, massive organization, $5.4 billion endowment. That was a year ago, certainly more than that now. Started by private individuals, funded by a very wealthy man, uh, third time inherited money from, from the UK. 
And they really, even though they operate under the protection of the U.S. government, I don't think you can send these guys a FOIA. It's like the ultimate outsourcing, the ultimate black op, in my opinion. And so where they have 153 million different items stored there, and when people frequently ask to see one, that what they're told is you get to see these on a need-to-know basis and you don't have a need-to-know. So how can this be a good idea to take 153 million exhibits and put them out of the reach of the average person? That would be like closing the, your local library up and telling you the only way that you can look at it is if you were a researcher. Why can't they photograph this stuff, digitize it, and put a description of it online? How hard would that be? So let's take a look at this next article as we delve into this notion of whether or not the Smithsonian Institution is involved in massive cover-ups. So we've established that the Smithsonian Institution has an endowment of $5.4 billion. It was started by uh, private individuals. It somehow got uh, completely intertwined with our own government. It's got a budget of, what we say, over a billion dollars a year. It has 153 million specimens held within its within its buildings 153 million only one percent of those are on display so that means only one percent of that 153 million is available for the public to see so out of 153 million different items that they have you can't see about 151 and a half million of them that should tell you something 99 percent of the stuff is hidden it's like an iceberg just a very Worse than an iceberg. We just see the, the top 1% is all we can see. So they haven't, in my opinion, done a lot to uh, build trust with the public as far as what they have and what they're hiding. And I could get into lots of articles where they are accused of hiding everything from, you know, Bigfoot carcasses to giants to, like I said, uh, Egyptian artifacts found in the Grand Canyon. We can look at some of those stories individually later. But today, I just wanted to lay the groundwork. We see from just a, an open, you know, we consider not even, not even a politically inclined uh, source. Well, at least not to the, not to the conspiracy-oriented uh, side. Wikipedia, they're they're pretty mainstream, right? And that's where they're telling us how much these guys are worth, how much, how many assets they have. We went through all that stuff. It's a huge, huge organization, and it's this very strange hybrid organization. Now, this article here is from abc27.com. This is an ABC News affiliate, I'm presuming. It says, in press wire by Newsmatics. And this is dated August 31st, 2022. It says, recent court ruling nationalizes the once private Smithsonian institution, creating conflict with the separation of powers doctrine and the Public Meetings Act. Now, this is something I wasn't aware of. I guess with all the, all the stuff from the last, you know, giant uh, flu influenza outbreak we had, was distracting. But during that time, it says here, August thirty first, twenty twenty two, recent court ruling nationalizes the once private Smithsonian Institution, creating conflict with the separation of powers doctrine and the Public Meetings Act. This is going to be interesting. Manhattan, New York, United States, August 31st, 2022. Congress in 1836 became the trustee of James Smithsonian's fortune in gold. The gold, over a half a million dollars in yesterday's dollars, was the equivalent of millions in today's money. And we said as much as $220 million. 
This private fortune to be held in trust by Congress to create the, to create the Smithsonian Institution was immediately borrowed by Congress at 6% interest. <laughs> Nearly a decade, the more things change, the more they stay the same. Nearly a decade later, Congress finally started to build the Smithsonian in 1846 with the interest they owed on the borrowed gold from the late British subject and benefactor James Smithson. James Smithson. Congress appointed a board of regents to oversee the fulfillment of the will of James Smithson to establish in Washington an institution for the increase and diffusion of knowledge, quote-unquote, and to oversee the business of the Smithsonian Institution. The board of regents made up of unpaid appointees, including the vice president, the chief justice as the Smithsonian chancellor, three members of the House and three members of the Senate, and members of the public is one of the most secretive governing boards in Washington, D.C. Imagine that. Wouldn't that be a good place to hide UFOs? They never had to hold open, transparent public meetings where the beneficiaries, the taxpayers, or the press could witness how the never-intended hundreds of millions of appropriated taxpayer funds would be distributed or even comment because the Smithsonian Institution was simply a private trust, not subject to the federal laws like Open Meetings Acts or even the Freedom of Information Act. Wow, that's what I would qualify as a run-on sentence. So in other words, they get all of the funding from the government, they get all the benefits of being a government agency, and then they have none of the responsibilities. Just like I said with the corporations we have today. All the benefits of being a person while being an inanimate object. Along the way, the government creep and legal confusion initiated unintended appropriations. Okay, this is called giving benefit of the doubt to uh, the corrupt actors. Okay. Government creep and legal confusion initiated unintended appropriations. Let's just, that's where I see the conspiracy at. People create these uh, ill-defined organizations so they can do things with them that they couldn't normally do, like hide all the really cool stuff they find. Something the Smithsonian's first secretary warned about back in 1848. Secretary Joseph Henry wrote in the Smithsonian's, in the Smithsonian's charter that the government of the United States is merely a trustee to carry out the design of the testator. The institution is not a national establishment, as is frequently supposed, but the establishment of an individual and it is to bear and perpetuate his name. Henry's warnings fell on deaf ears after his death. Look, you don't get that much money from the government without the government telling you what to do. You can't even you can't even start a business in your town without a license in most places. I mean you're using their streets you're going to pay their taxes. So the notion that these guys could come in and put up this multi-billion dollar operation and have zero accountability to the American people, I think it's arrogant. Today, over 170 years later, the consequences of ignorance have corrupted the once clearly defined and separate private institution. I don't think it was ever clearly defined, honestly, or separate. So much so, in fact, that in the 2018 federal court ruling, Case number 117-CVO2140-TNM in the District Court of the District of Columbia, Judge Trevor McFadden, legislating from the bench, citing no laws, created new law, going to the extreme of ignoring the original Smithsonian Charter by nationalizing the institution to deprive artist Julian Raven of his First Amendment rights of free speech. Sounds like this guy kind of falls on the side of the Smithsonian to me. McFadden's invented ratification theory ignored Chief Justice Taft and Warren Burger declaring the Smithsonian is not and has never been a government bureau. It is a private organization under the guardianship of the government. You know what? That sounds like that sounds like nonsense to me. I mean, I don't find I don't find anywhere in the Constitution that that's really a thing, is it? 
someone can correct me if I'm wrong, disregarding the wisdom of Chief Justices McFadden nationalized the Smithsonian, ruling that even if the increase in diffusion of knowledge was originally a private goal, Congress ratified it. Look, it's nationalized. It was nationalized the minute they sent the gold over here in uh, 1814 or whatever. The United States government had possession of that gold to the extent that they borrowed it. So, you know what? Too bad, so sad. They've nationalized it. I think that's awesome. The nationalizing of the private trust into a federal agency replaced private free speech with government speech, deciding Raven's speech claim because when the government speaks, the First Amendment's free speech clause does not limit what it says. Wow. The Smithsonian is no longer a misunderstood quasi-governmental organization, but a government institution through and through. Well, they're not acting like it. McFadden's legislation went as far as to claim that the, that the Smithsonian Board of Regents was politically accountable to the electorate. Good. Can you remember when you voted for anyone on any ballot who sits on the Board of Regents? Not even the separation of powers could prevent the magical ruling from blending the three separate branches of government who sit at the table of the Board of Regents. Because now the government agency was like an ancient Greek three-headed well hellhound by the name of Serbius, according to Mr. McFadden's words. Boy, this guy, he's really got his dander up. The new nationalized status of the Smithsonian Institution was created, has created its own set of problems. For, one, for the once secretive Smithsonian Board of Regents, what are you hiding, guys? Mr. Raven's latest reform initiative invokes the Open Meetings Act. I think that's awesome. They have to be accountable now. With which every government agency should be bound. In the past, a private Smithsonian entity avoided scrutiny by the public and the press at their private board meetings when deliberating on how to spend the $700 million of appropriated taxpayer dollars. 700 million bucks they get from the taxpayers, but they don't want any accountability. They want to do it in secret. And this author, this, this goofball, he thinks that's great apparently. The Board of Regents at their discretion would slide a copy of the minutes under the door of the outs to the outside world to examine, barring them from any comment, input, or objection to their planned spending sprees. We don't need something like that, okay? We don't need this behemoth that goes around and just scoops up every artifact they can find and hides it away in a locked room somewhere. And then we're taxed 700 million, $700 million, kids. That means out of the 100 million or so people in this country that pays taxes, well, you, you kicked in seven bucks to uh, the Smithsonian last year. And so for what? Think they stick their nose up at the air? Tell you that you couldn't listen to their meetings? This is ridiculous. The Board of Regents has been put on notice via a letter sent August 22nd, 2022. This included a copy of Raven's book, Odious and Cerberus, Sir and American Immigrants' Odyssey and His Free Speech, Legal War, blah, blah, blah. He goes on, he says, The Board's failure to act opening their board meeting to the public and the press will ensure continued litigation, confusion, and violation of the separation of powers doctrine surrounding and defining the configuration of the three branches of the federal government and the United States. You know what I think? They're getting taxpayer money. Either give the money back or open up the board meetings. And if they refuse to obey the, the judge's order, do what you would do to anybody else. Send marshals over, arrest them, and put them in jail until they decide that they'll do what they're told. Julian Raven's book, Odious and Serbius, an American Immigrant's Odyssey, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, what a, what a twist. So here we have this giant mega corporation acting with impunity, scooping up national treasures all the way from you know, the Grand Canyon to New York City, sequestering them away in a, 
in a variety of vaults and basements and buildings somewhere. And then when a judge finally shows up on the scene and says, listen, you are taking $700 million a year in taxpayer money. You've been using taxpayer money for generations. Your money, you were entrusted to the U.S. government clear back in the 1800s. And now you're going to be accountable. You are going to be accountable. You're going to have open meetings. And what does this, what does the Smithsonian say? Go pound sand. So this is a this is why people believe that the Smithsonian is covering up things. When you go into a meeting with your board, you lock the door, you allow no questions from the public, and then you decide how you're going to spend seven hundred million dollars that's been given to you from American taxpayers, and you slip the paper under the door like you're feeding the dog. That's not called transparency. That is a recipe for conspiracy. And yes, I do believe the Smithsonian is covering up all kinds of stuff. And if they're not covering up uh, artifacts that don't agree with their narrative, then they're certainly covering up where they're spending the money at because they're not telling us. They're telling us right here, we're not going to tell you. That in itself is a cover-up, a financial cover-up. How can it not be? Anyway, I'll put both these articles on the Buy Me A Coffee website, as always. This is UFO Warning, over and out.